Nancy Mielich has been the literary seminar director at the Utah Shakespeare Festival for the past 12 years. Nancy was a full-time reporter and theater critic for the Salt Lake Tribune for nearly 30 years. She served as a drama juror for the Pulitzer Prize. She is a founding member of the Utah Playwrights Lab at Sundance, and she has worked as a guest critic at many college theaters and theater festivals. Nancy even moderated a discussion with Stephen Sondheim at Kingsbury Hall called An Evening with Stephen Sondheim. In addition to her many pieces in the Salt Lake Tribune, Nancy's writing has also been published in the Wall Street Journal, New York Backstage, and Utah State of the Arts. Thank you so much, Nancy, for joining us for the Play On Podcast. It, we've been trying to hook up with you for ages, and we finally have, and I have so many questions. Um, there's so many people that love what you do at the festival, and I think there's a lot of people that uh, need to know more about what you do at the festival, so hopefully we can uh, you know, talk about the value of uh, the talkbacks, the literary seminars, and maybe even learn a little bit about how you found yourself here uh, at the festival uh, directing this kind of stuff. Sure. Well, thank you for inviting me, Nano. It's my pleasure to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nancy. Uh, so you were a theater critic for a number of years at the Salt Lake Tribune, right? Yes, I was a features writer, a reporter, uh-huh. and uh, in my evening hours was a theater critic at the paper. Absolutely. I was, And I covered the Utah Shakespeare Festival as one of the uh, theater groups that I covered for about 23 years. Oh, so you were kind of a, I wouldn't say an outsider looking in, but you kind of had the lens trained on us for, for a long time. <laughs> yes, I was definitely not on staff there. I was, uh, I think that's a good way of putting it, an outsider who loved theater looking in. Yes. Wow. How did you, how did you, how did you get in the, that game? Uh, well, how did you find yourself working in journalism, specifically uh, journalism focused on the arts, performing arts? I was a uh, journalism major at the University of Utah, Excellent. and there was an intern program, and I was one of a few people who were hired to be a summer intern, and at the end of that internship, they asked me what I wanted to do, and I said I would like to be the environmental reporter. <laughs> and they said, well, we don't have such a thing, but there is an opening in the features department. Uh, would you like to go there? And I said, certainly. I needed a job. I had just graduated from the University of Utah. Yeah. And, and so they never asked me if I had ever covered the arts, if I'd ever even seen theater. <laughs> they just said, uh, here's a job. Go do it. A reporter can be a generalist and cover anything. So that's where I started, and I was uh, I covered all kinds of things, not just the arts. And then um, in 1978, my brother-in-law, who's an entertainment lawyer in New York, suggested that I apply to the uh, Eugene O'Neill National Critics Institute, uh-huh. which was a month-long program where you could go to learn to be a theater critic for a newspaper. Oh, cool. And I applied, and I was accepted, and that changed my life in term, my professional life. That's incredible. What critic is still, depending on the context, critic can be kind of a bad word. Um, <laughs> being, being a critic, how, how do you explain the value of what you do to, uh, you know, to performers, to directors, to artists, to lovers of theater? What, what does a critic really offer people? Well, I think it certainly depends on the critic. 
Yeah. Um, there are critics who feel that it is their obligation to tell directors and actors how to do their work. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't believe that. I think. Um, well, let me let me answer it this way. At my desk at the Salt Lake Tribune, I had a quote posted on the wall in front of my computer that said, the job of a theater critic isn't to get people to go to the theater or to get people to stay home. The job of a theater critic is to keep people interested in the theater. And so I tried to follow that philosophy. Don't think I always did it, but um, we never believed in putting stars on reviews, four stars, five stars, Yeah. in terms of theater. We never believed in thumbs up, thumbs down, Yeah. or little men jumping out of chairs, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the, uh, the it, it has evolved into more of the kind of um, star uh, evaluation that I oppose. Yeah, people like the convenience of just seeing a simple writing system. You know, yes. things and, things and tend with, to be uh, consumed more when they they fit into a soundbite. Right, and I don't think that serves the art form, mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't. Um, you know, it's very easy, and I was certainly guilty of this, but it's very easy to have an have an uninformed opinion. Yeah, and to tear things down when you don't really have any basis for doing that. Yeah. It's much more difficult to look at a piece of art and try and analyze what the, in the case of theater, what the playwright is trying to say uh-huh. and if that is accomplished. It's very easy to be, shall I use the word snarky? Yeah. It's very easy to put down and be a show-off critic. I don't think that serves theater at all. Awesome. What so you want people to actually read the content of reviews, and you you don't want to give people any reason to not read them, right? To to have this simple well, yes. label. Yes, in essence, to have something maybe you wouldn't agree with the critic, but at least after you finished reading that critic, you could say, "I'd never thought of that before," mm-hmm. or that gay, or that painted me some pictures that I had never seen. Yeah, um, it's not. It's, well, if you're a newspaper critic, first and foremost, you have to remember that you still are a reporter. And yeah. You need to say the name of the playwright. <laughs> you need to say where this event happened, uh-huh. but then go further, not necessarily telling the story that was presented on stage, but maybe the themes that were inherent in the story that was presented. Oh, wow. So did you, you mentioned the Eugene O'Neill um, training you had to, yes. to be a sort of vetted theater critic. Yes. Was was there a moment prior to that, or did you ever find yourself attracted to theater? Was this something you always cared about, but maybe you had sort of a, a you know philistine appreciation for it, or or did you really just kind of dive into it at that point? No, I had the um, great privilege of growing up in a home that was a mix of art and politics. Oh wow! And we had. Um, Lots of conversations at, in our home about a variety of things, but art was um, very important. And I grew up listening to uh, my mother had a collection of Broadway scores, and I grew up listening to those. And 
my the first Broadway show I saw was in Chicago when I was nine years old, and I saw Guys and Dolls. Oh wow, that's excellent. And then I grew up in Moab, but we traveled to New York frequently, and I saw several Broadway shows when I was a teenager, and uh, also the the school I went to. Um, from the time I was in first grade through 12th grade, uh-huh. I was in a, in a theater production. So I grew, I had the advantage of not only being in, in school productions, but my family took me to a lot of theater and I loved it. That's awesome. Uh, so was it kind of a, did it feel like a, a coming together of your interests and skills at that moment uh, during the Eugene O'Neill education? Um, I guess in a way, the the uh, I covered so many different things when I was a reporter at the Tribune. But when I went uh, to that ex- had that experience in 1978, and my mentor at that program, a man named Ernie Shearer, who'd been theater critic for the Philadelphia Bulletin, told those of us that were in this program, covering the arts is not the same as covering the police beat or mm-hmm. the legislature or the education beat. And you need to go home and educate your editors that covering the arts is something that takes a lot of time to learn about and that it shouldn't just be given short shrift by by the editor. Yeah. And so, yes, it did change the way I looked at covering the arts. And, and I think as a result of that, the Salt Lake Tribune um, really – did itself proud in having a whole, what was then called an art section, devo- mm-hmm. devoted completely to the arts, uh, that came out every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we had two music critics, we had a movie critic, we had an, a visual arts critic, a theater critic, and a dance critic. Oh, wow. And we were given lots of space to do that. And and I think the it helped the arts community grow in this state. Yeah. And I... I am sort of heartsick over what is happening to a profession that I believe is very important. Journalism specifically, or um, just the lack of venues for for people to talk about art? Can you um, can you talk a little bit bit more what what sort of concerns you in the change of the landscape? Um, well, I'm I'm a print journalist at heart, yeah, and I think <clears throat> that. Um, it's a, a very valuable uh, component to a society to have a thriving newspaper yeah. and several newspapers, not just one. And I think that if certain things aren't covered, yeah. uh, and the first thing to go is usually arts coverage yeah. or arts education in schools, and when that happens, I think society is much weaker uh, because of that if let's say if a newspaper decides to not cover something mm-hmm. then it's saying it's not important mm-hmm. yeah so when a a um, newspaper gets rid of its arts coverage i don't just mean reviewing i mean writing stories about um funding or writing stories about lack of attendance or um the, de- the decline of theater groups or dance groups. When you don't cover those things, what is it saying to the public? It's not important. Yeah. However, having said that, we are in an internet 
age and an age where there is all kinds of information coming out across the internet but I always wonder who <laughs> what is that source who are those people yeah. that are writing those things do they have an institution such as a Salt Lake Tribune or a Los Angeles Times or a New York Times backing those yeah. opinions and I think it's hurtful for the overall growth of uh, of the arts in this community and nationally and Salt Lake if I'm not mistaken is still on the verge of shutting down the Tribune if I'm right it, well, I won't, could... even, I won't even use those two words. Uh, I'm an <laughs> eternal optimist. Okay, and, good, good. And uh, right now the, the paper is uh, waiting for a court date to determine some uh, – it's very complicated, so I won't go into that. But, no, at the moment uh, I would just say for people to go out and buy the Salt Lake Tribune. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so you've had your finger on the pulse of theater for – more than 35 years now. Um, are there any specific trends in theater or, I mean, whether in the, in the shows that are being produced or in the number of people that are producing plays or in the dialogue about these shows that you've seen over the years? Has, has anything shifted dramatically or, or surprised you or, uh, you know, given you hope? Well, I'm, I'm uh, certainly not an expert on that, and I have been away from the Salt Lake Tribune for 15 years now, yeah. but I am still an avid theater goer. Wherever my husband and I go, we always uh, go to the theater. But I would say, for one thing that I've noticed, um, much smaller casts than plays. It's very difficult to go see a play with a large cast, and a new play that has a large cast because they just can't get produced. Yeah. Um, they're usually, you know, four or six actors in a, in a production. Yep. Um, it's, it's one of the, the real bonuses of, I think, the Utah Shakespeare Festival is that you can still see large casts on stage and you can see classic theater as yeah. well as moving toward new American plays as well. Yep. Um, I see subjects on stage in new plays today that you might not uh, have heard 20 years ago, and I think that's positive. Um, people in all different walks of life that are being represented on stage, um, uh, colorblind casting, mm -hmm. um, I think is is becoming more, uh, more dominant. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that, <laughs> that I... I I feel badly about is um, the loss of plays um, that are overproduced, plays that are <clears throat> where audience, where it seems like the producers don't trust an audience to be able to think. Yeah. So they have to give them a lot of glitter and smoke and mirrors and <laughs> pyrotechnics and loud music so that you yeah. can't even hear the lyrics. Um, I decry that. Yeah. Why, what shifted? Why, why do not, I guess, all media, including theater, are we not giving our audience enough credit? And when did that happen? Why did that happen? Um, I'm certainly no authority on yeah. that. But uh, no, I don't think we give audiences enough credit. Uh, I also think that the dismissal of arts programs in schools, particularly elementary schools, yeah. where there aren't a lot of... Um, 
children who have ever seen a live performance of any kind, Uh um, that if you don't build an audience when you are younger, then how are you going to get them interested in going when they get older? Yeah. And and I think that perhaps, um, I don't know, I... As I said, I'm such an optimist. Yeah. When I come, when I'm down in Cedar City during the high school Shakespeare competition in the fall, and I see all those middle schoolers and high schoolers there that are competing in the Shakespeare competition, it is so encouraging. It is. It's magical. That weekend is. It's it's life altering. It really is. Even even to just witness it. Yes, I agree. In fact, I. I think that that festival, that uh, component of the festival, ought to be covered the way the Final Four and the March Madness basketball competitions. <laughs> oh, are wouldn't that that would be incredible? <laughs> I mean, it's that exciting. But then, you know, you and I are on the same page with that. I do think your education program, and this is not uh, you didn't encourage me to do this, but the work that the education program at the festival does with playmakers and their acting classes for junior actors. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Um and I it gives me hope that um that we are building new audiences. That's awesome. And that the mention of education kind of leads perfectly into your role here uh being the director of literary seminars. Can you talk a little bit? I know it's not necessarily, you know, childhood education. We're not the literary seminars don't necessarily introduce people to the art. But what what is the value of having people gather together, uh, you know, the morning after a show and, and talk about it? What um, what do you get out of that, and what do you think people uh, sitting in the bleachers get out of that? Well, I just it's um, it's one of the many joys of the festival, and I would say that maybe first of all, people are starved for live conversation not getting a disembodied voice on the other end of the cell phone or on their computer. Yeah. At the festival, you are there to see live theater, which by its very nature encourages you to talk about it when it's done its, when it's done its work properly. Uh And by that, I mean not giving answers to audiences, but asking lots of questions. Yeah. Good playwrights do that. And we've got the best in terms of Mr. Shakespeare. Yep. So audiences are there. It's a destination theater. So most folks that come are on a vacation, whether it's for a day or a week or three days. Yeah, absolutely. And the way the festival has designed these seminars, not only the ones I'm involved with, but the actor seminars and the um, um, costume seminar and prop seminar, it it includes it gives an audience a chance to feel as if they are a part which they are yeah. in making all this possible the other thing that i have found um my favorite thing to do in those conversations in the morning is to get a conversation going yep to because of, they're called literary seminars sometimes people have said to me we expected you to give us a lecture <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, 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 you go to college to do that or go somewhere else. You're not going to get a lecture. What I want to do is get a conversation, and sometimes they get rather heated. Yeah. And it's it it's just fabulous because you may start out at the top of the hour with an idea, 
about the play you saw the previous day, but by the end of the hour, we're got we're in a whole other different direction. It's true. People and are thinking, yeah, it's fantastic. It never ceases to amaze me. I, I'm getting better at picking out who the engineers are in the audience. <laughs> Engine, can you explain that a little better? <laughs> well, one, uh, for example, when the festival presented My Fair Lady, yeah, there was, uh, and we were having some conversations about Henry Higgins and his his treatment of Eliza Doolittle. Yeah, and a man raised his hand and he said, "Now, in last night's performance, I noticed when." Eliza threw the ring at Henry Higgins, that it bounced about five feet and went off stage, but in a matter of seconds, he picked it up. Now, he couldn't have done that <laughs> because there wasn't enough time, and it bounced further than where Henry was standing. Do you have two rings in the show that you use? <laughs> yeah. And, and I said, what are you talking about? I had no idea what he was talking about. I was engrossed in the story, but we got a good laugh at it, and I did go and check with the <clears> stage <throat> manager the next day, and indeed, we did have two rings, two rings that were used in that show. Engineers ask very literal questions. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, it's always a, a very, a real learning experience for me in those seminars. I never know what they're going to ask. Ever. That's awesome. We, we only ever get to live in our own skin, right? I think I've heard you say something to this effect. Um, and the process of talking about these shows, specifically Shakespeare's plays, it, it seems like, in uh, the, the festival's seminars, kind of gives people a chance to operate outside themselves a little bit, to ask questions that they, they don't come, you know, become faced with in the, the course of their daily lives. Um, have you ever experienced... Uh, people in the seminars <clears throat> you know you can see the wheels turning you can see them confronting something maybe they never have and this this all happened because uh, of a theater production and because we gathered together to talk about it oh absolutely it happens all the time when um when there has been particularly in last year's production of measure for measure oh excellent the conversations after that performance were very provocative, um, and there were people that had very strong opinions of who was right and who was wrong yeah. in that play. But then they, after the conversations would get going, there would be people occasionally that would argue about Isabel's um, decision, yeah. uh, would argue about... Uh, would say, well, I would never do that. And then someone yeah. would say, but wait a minute. If you were confronted with that situation and you were trying to save your brother, what would you have done? And then there would be people who would say, I have been in a situation like that. There were people who would talk about um, their, their own, the abuses that had occurred to them and how they had forgiven their abusers. Oh, wow. And there were... <laughs> there have been it becomes I know sometimes it becomes very confessional and I've had Vietnam vets talk about um, experiences they've had in the theater that they have not relived for years we had a wow. lot of uh, people during the uh, when the festival presented to kill a mockingbird yeah yeah talking about jurors mm -hmm. and jury decisions and how they had been so self-righteous uh, 
in their in their uh, opinions about um, who was right and who was wrong. But after seeing To Kill a Mockingbird, they had changed their minds. Yeah. No, it happens. It happens quite often. Yeah. Um, and and I, if ever I had any doubts as to the power of theater, giving insights into a life that you had never led, it has been. That has certainly changed after 12 years of being in the Grove and listening to our patrons. That's incredible. Um, so from your perspective, you you have to come at every play you see and you know you're going to be moderating a conversation about with such an incredibly open mind. You have to, it seems like the, as the moderator of these discussions, you have to check all of your assumptions in at the door, right? Because you never know what's going to come at you from from this audience. Right. And I think that my training as a newspaper reporter, where we were not ever supposed to know anything, so we yeah. asked the person we're interviewing the questions, yeah. even though we may have an answer, um, has been extremely helpful. Uh, and certainly my role working as a theater critic for the Salt Lake Tribune yeah. has helped in the seminar because um, – when I used to put in a full day at the office and then I would go to cover theater at night, and sometimes I would be really tired, but yeah. the moment I sat down in my seat, I would get excited because I never knew what was going to happen on stage, mm -hmm. and I I really worked at being open to what an actor was going to give me that night or yeah. the playwright. It's the same in the seminar grove. I may have an expectation of what happened on Tuesday morning, but now it's Wednesday morning. Yeah. And so to just stay open to what the um, the audience member might have to say say is uh, it has helped me because of my previous work. One yeah. thing, though, <laughs> that um, so sometimes um, I'll spar with the people in the audience. <laughs> spar, okay. Yeah, and I've learned. Uh, I've kind of learned when I can do that and when I can't yeah. because clearly you don't want to alienate any audience member. Absolutely. But, but at the same time, you have to say, whoa, wait a minute. How did you come up with that piece of information? Yeah, you want to challenge them, right? Yes, you want to challenge, absolutely. I was impressed. I went to a couple um, in the, over the course of four days. Um, I saw King John here twice, uh -huh. and I kind of stood in the back of the seminar the following morning after each performance, and I was amazed that the two conversations I witnessed were almost nothing alike. That a group of people came together, a different group of people, and saw the same play, but the conversation about it the next day was completely, starkly different. And I, I, I wanted to give you the chance to point out um, how individual, how specific anyone's experiences and how when we bring this to the table in a group of people, it's actually, we are half the text. You know, the people sitting in those chairs in the audience are half of the text. And I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how different conversations can be about, about, a different, about the same subject um, when it's a different group of people sitting in the seats. I don't know, Nano. It is... <laughs> We're all unique in our observations, and sometimes we are not willing to budge one inch in our belief system. Yeah. And so theater is a vehicle that, for the open-minded person, <laughs> uh, can say, well, 
yes, I didn't think of it that way. And I was at the seminar the morning before, and I came back today to hear what you had to say, what, not necessarily me, but what the group had to say. And it opens up your mind. Yeah. And, and your heart, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't have an answer to your question. I don't know why uh, people think the way they do, but it's it's from a lifetime of experience, and they bring that experience to the theater, and then they want to talk about it. That's and incredible. If we can, if we can continue to keep the conversation going, perhaps when they get in another situation, a boardroom, a somewhere in their office where there's conflict, maybe they will step back and they'll remember what it was like to be Atticus Finch or Scout yeah. or King John and remember a production they saw at the festival and what it did to them in looking at people in a different way than they always had. I mean, that's, isn't that the true, true um, joy of theater at its best? It gives you insights into a life that you probably never will experience in your daily life, but yeah. it will give you insights into another person. That's really empathy at its heart, right? Sure, sure. Put, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And I want Absolutely. to say, um, while I have you here, Nancy, you, speaking of empathy, I've watched you moderate these discussions, and you're so incredible at keeping things civil at um, allowing people a place to feel like their opinions matter, you know, e even when the, the entire tide of the crowd might be moving against them. Um, you're just amazing at giving everyone a, 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 this feeling that, that their opinion is matters and is valid and can facilitate a larger discussion. And I've always admired that. It's not easy to do on a daily basis, I can't imagine. And you seem to really enjoy um, these discussions. It seems like you're there to learn, just like everyone uh, in the crowd is there to learn. And everyone that witnesses it is just admires you so much. So thank you. Well, you're very kind. I, um, I do enjoy it. I have immense, immense admiration for people who work in the world of theater, who actors, directors, playwrights, designers. Uh, my 12 years at the festival have um, really broadened my understanding of the entire process. I don't, it's, it's sort of, in a way, I never could figure out how the newspaper really got out and on somebody's doorstep in the morning, given the, con, all of the constraints we had in putting out a newspaper. Yeah. And I feel the same way about mm -hmm. theater. Um, audiences pay their money. They don't need to know all of the challenges that happen. They're there to see a performance. Yep. And yet I have such respect for what all of you do and for those people who make uh, the plays work. And I do enjoy it. I like being around people with um, diverse opinions, and whether that be the actor on stage or the, or the people in the Grove. And I thank you for your kind words. Cool. Thank you so much, Nancy. Uh, maybe at some point during the summer season, we'll uh, talk to you again and maybe get specific and have you tell more stories if you'd be willing to do that. Oh, sure. I've got lots of stories. In fact, <laughs> somebody suggested that I ought to write a book about the questions that come up. Oh, I'm pleased. And I said, well, I could write it, but who would read it? <laughs> <laughs> I would read it. Most people <laughs> listening to this us, podcast right? would read it. There would be two of us. <laughs> I don't think so. There'd be at least eight of us. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Well, thank you, Nano, for for your interest and for the the work you do at the festival. It's just been a pleasure getting to know you. And uh, here's to an incredible season. Our our last season on the outdoor stage and onward to uh, to 2016 and the new theaters that are opening and the new art museum. Excellent. Thank you, Nancy. We look forward okay. to seeing you soon. Okay. Thanks okay. so much. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Play On podcast. We're getting closer and closer to the beginning of the 2015 summer season at the Utah Shakespeare Festival. In May, we will begin interviewing the directors, actors, and other artistic staff so you can get an exclusive inside look. We will continue to bring you experts in the Shakespeare field of study until then. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you again in two weeks.